0: Hi, I'm really glad you joined us online today, tonight, or whatever time it is. I'm just glad you're here. How do you respond when you put a great deal of effort into something and you have little or nothing at all to show for it? You plant a fruit tree, for instance, and it doesn't bear fruit. You don't have a green thumb in any way, shape, or form, and it doesn't bear fruit. I planted nine avocado trees at my house in Diamond Bar and they all died. The first one was flourishing. It had borne fruit and it was doing well and then it drowned in an El Nino. I didn't even know avocado trees or any tree could drown for that matter. It turns out that Avocado trees grow in the wild underneath bigger trees that give them shade. So, all the other trees that I planted after the first one got a sunburn. I I didn't even know that could happen. This is how it is in life sometimes. We put a great deal of effort into something... You dig a hole, plant the tree, and it doesn't turn out like you thought it would. In midlife, you often feel like life hasn't turned out the way you thought it would, and you're tempted to go off the rails. When you're working hard, and it seems like you're just spinning your wheels and staying in the same place, not getting any traction whatsoever, Habakkuk shows us what to do. He shows us that God is enough even when our efforts have little or no fruit at all. Here's a review of the God is Working series that we're wrapping up today. First week, we talked about The fact that God is working, even when you can't see what God is doing, you can trust that he is working in history, and your personal history, to accomplish his purposes, and they will be good for those who love him. Habakkuk had a close enough personal relationship with God that he felt free to ask God questions. You can have that kind of relationship, too. The next week, we talked about perfect timing. It is easy to jump to the wrong conclusion about what God is doing in history. And when God is delaying, you you can trust that he will come through at just the right time, He has perfect timing. God always comes through. The delay causes our knees to buckle at sometimes, but God's intent is to use that very situation to strengthen our faith through the delay. Today, we're talking about faith with no results. Um, chapter 3 is a chapter of praise that God is enough, and he is enough. He gives us everything we need to do what he asks us to do in life, to handle our uh, responsibilities, even when there is no Fruit from our efforts. Today we're going to see how uh, Habakkuk shows us to grow our faith. First, you take your concerns to God directly. In chapter 1, he took his questions to God and the Lord answers his questions. At the beginning of uh, chapter 3, he takes his concerns to God. Habakkuk 3, 1 and 2. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shiganoff O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember your mercy. Verse 2 is like a summary of the book of Habakkuk. It it it's a beautiful picture and it shows how the prophet has a healthy view of the Lord's work. He knows he is a gracious and merciful God. So he's counting on the love of God to Bail out his people. It, it's right to fear God. He he has a healthy fear of God in this passage. Um, he says, "O oh Lord, your work do I fear." And Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. It's the breakthrough point into wisdom, and fearing God means that you take God seriously and you stay within the boundaries he's established for living life. Faith is fearing God and trusting God to come through when you obey him and have stayed within the boundaries he's set for life, and you trust him to come through on his promises As you obey, because when you obey, often it's the exact opposite of your natural reflexes. And you trust him to provide, even though it doesn't necessarily feel right. And Jesus made a a way to go to God directly with confidence. Hebrews four fifteen and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then draw near to the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus' death on the cross is what allows us to go with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace. That's an amazing privilege that Jesus gave us by dying on the cross. We should also continually rehearse the story of God's faithfulness to us. Matt talked about this last week. The prophet starts rehearsing the faithfulness of God to his people. Habakkuk 3, 3 and 4. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light raised that flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. If, if his power was not veiled, we would be consumed by it. We should take note of what God has done for his people throughout history. Timon and Mount Paran refer to the help God gave Israel to advance In the conquest, in the exodus, and the conquest, in the exodus out of Egypt, and the conquest of the promised land. We should also write down what God has done for us personally. And we can take courage in this. We can be encouraged when we look back at all that God has done. An advantage of being a part of a church community is watching God's story of faithfulness to the church. This strengthens our faith as we watch him provide for our mission and we do it together. He provides a, a great deal for us. At CIV, we have seen God work to provide for our mission in ways that we would not have believed if we weren't, if we were told. The prophet continues in verse five. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. In the ancient Near East, powerful people were accompanied by attendants. God's two attendants were pestilence and plague. These were the gods of the Babylonians, it turns out. Um, So, the prophet is saying that God is in control and not the gods of the Babylonians. There is no other god like our God. Next, we can be assured that God fights battles for his people. Before I dive into the passages in Habakkuk that talk about this, I want to read through 2 Chronicles 32, 7-8. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there is... There are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. They were outnumbered, for sure, but God makes us stronger than the enemy. I want to tell you that fighting spiritual battles has built me up. Sometimes I've had to use the armor that God provides to beat back the enemy. Once at Raging Waters, I went down a ride called the Black Hole. And I had never been claustrophobic before that ride, but I got claustrophobic on that ride. Then I was in an airplane after that, and I got claustrophobic. I, I kind of got a little worked up by the fact that we were going to be in an airplane for several hours. Then I realized when I got claustrophobic on the air, airline air, airplane that this was an enemy attack. I, I got slimed by the enemy on that ride. The only offensive weapon in the Christian's armor is the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, the Bible. So I memorized Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And... The answer to that question is, no one or no thing. And I fought back the enemy with scripture. That's what God tells us to do in the armor. It's the only offensive weapon we have. After a few few more bouts with the enemy, the claustrophobia was gone completely. The enemy... Intends to tear us down in the battle, but God uses the battle to build us up. I've learned a great deal from battling. I've, I've learned to trust God in ways that I wouldn't if I didn't have to battle. I've seen him come through at just the right time in the moment with the help I needed. I've, I've learned to keep my mind on a leash. If, if I let it wander, then it's like a dog who, in the streets, who's not on a leash and sniffs piles of trash. That's, that's what I do if I let it wander. So I've learned, keep your mind on a short leash. This battle motivates me to walk by the Spirit, to keep in step with the battle, the Spirit. Um, you, You win the battle by keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 says that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit will grow in you. And that's my experience. Other benefit from the battles I've faced, I can strengthen others to, in two ways. I can identify with others and encourage them with my struggles and victory. People get encouraged by your weaknesses and their strengths discourage them. So I, I try to identify with their weaknesses, if I can, honestly. And I can also share lessons I've learned with others that will help them, like battling with Scripture. In Habakkuk 3, 8-10, uh, the imagery changes from rehearsing the faithfulness of God The faithfulness of God to his people, to a divine warrior who fights on our behalf. God's actions now cause fear. Habakkuk 3, 8-10 Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers, your indignation against the sea, when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The prophet is talking here about splitting the Red Sea and the Jordan River so that the people of God, the Israelites, could pass through them. They went through them. The Lord God has control of the earth that he has created, for sure. In contrast... To God's wrath to Babylon, who threatens to overwhelm his people. There is a promise of hope in 313. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him from thigh, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. The anointed is the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. He's the one who saves. Here we see God's answer to the prophet's earlier complaint, his question, his people will be saved. The prophet responds, trembling in fear, which makes perfect sense to me. Verse 16, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at their sound. Rottenness enters my, enter my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I wait, I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. The prophet is relying here on the character of God. He knows that he keeps his promises. He's waiting for him to act against the Babylonians who have invaded Israel and captured Jerusalem. Finally, we take joy in the Lord even if there are no results. Habakkuk's questions are answered, and then he pronounces one of the most powerful statements of faith recorded in Scripture. Here's the statement in verse 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail. And the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. And there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This is an agricultural society. And this is why this image was spoken to uh, the the Israelites, the, the prophet spoke to the people who were an agrarian society. And we can relate to that. When there are no fruit from our efforts, we need to sing the praise of God. This psalm can be sung. I, I don't know the melody. It's been lost. And the writer realizes, though, that his faith can be safely put in God's grace. Not only matters of survival for the nation of Israel, but his own personal well-being as well. We we can trust him for our personal well-being if we've committed to follow him. The message of Habakkuk is... That we can trust God's plan to prevail and that He will do good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. This is not because of any good on Habakkuk's part or any weakness on the part of the Babylonians. His hope is in God who is enough And he can be enough for you if you trust him and turn to him and cast your burdens on him. Cast all your anxieties on him, Peter says, because he cares for you. His rejoicing is grounded in and springs from God's relationship with him. We can have that kind of relationship as well. He asked God questions and got his answers from the Lord. And God always answers our prayers. I, I read through Habakkuk during the lockdowns. The Babylonians had captured Jerusalem during this time. And I bet that was far worse than any lockdown we experienced. The passage spoke to me deeply, though. And I considered that for a few months, we were talking to screens, and we couldn't see if anybody was listening, or if there was any fruit or any results from our speaking God's word at all. People were behind a screen, and we we couldn't tell if anybody was listening. We We were pretty sure they were, but we couldn't know for sure that they were. Notice that it says, regardless of the fruit you're seeing from your efforts, you take joy. You grab a hold of it intentionally. This is a choice you make in faith versus wallowing in self-pity over a lack of visible results. King Josephat was another guy who was confused by God delaying justice. He asked in 2 Chronicles 2012, Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are pow- powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. When we don't know what to do, when we can't see our enemy, we need to turn to God and ask him for help. Because the army we face is not physical It's a powerful spiritual enemy that we cannot defeat in our own power. Our enemy, Satan's, coordinates the effort of the world and the flesh. And these are the three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he coordinates all of these enemies to take us down. But God is the help we look to. And he can help us win the battles as we rely on his power to win those battles. Jehoshaphat bore the weight of leadership and looked to God for his help and direction. And that's what I've tried to do over these past couple of years for sure, and basically for the whole time. Psalm 37, 5-7 through seven is a passage I go to often in the middle of uncertainty. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. I'm not too sure about my righteousness, but Jesus has given His righteousness to me, and that protects me. I can count on that. And it goes on, your justice as the new day. I, I, I know my cause is just. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Don't fret over the wicked people prospering right now. God will settle the score in the end. It will all be taken care of. The sentiment is echoed in verse 19 of Habakkuk 3. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk had a close personal relationship with God and we can have that same kind of relationship. He strengthens us when we're weak. One of the promises I go to often is Psalm 73:25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Where would I go. If I didn't turn to God. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. When your strength fails. If you turn to him. God will strengthen you. For the things you need to do. For your responsibilities that you need to take care of. Finally. When we're tempted to despair, God will help us. He is the lifter of our head. Psalm 33, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. In my experience, when I'm down, if I turn to God, He lifts my head and my spirits. He encourages me deeply. The Bible talks a lot about countenance, which is the look on a person's face. You can tell a lot about a person by their countenance, by the look on their face. You, you can tell whether they're discouraged and need encouragement or they're troubled and need help with something By the look on your face, you can tell. You you can trust God to brighten your countenance through his word. And it will allow you to have the strength and the perspective to brighten others and encourage them. So that with the encouragement that God has given you. One of my go-to passages when I'm down is Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my glory, the lifter of my head. I agree with Habakkuk that God is our hope. When we turn to him, he always helps us, and he always helps those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Why are you in turmoil within me when my stomach is churning? My real hope is God himself, and he calms my fears and settles me down. God is my salvation. My glory and the lifter of my head. Habakkuk, who starts in depression and doubts God's righteousness and justice, he's been on an emotional roller coaster in this book for sure. And that's how fil- life feels at some times. I mean, it, it, It's just a roller coaster as you deal with the trouble God allows in in your life. The prophet, however, ends with confidence in God's provision and his sustaining power. If we turn to God when we're depressed in our spirit, he will lift us and brighten our countenance so that we can lift others up. This is why you need to keep track of the story of God's faithfulness to us. It's a source of encouragement we can go back to repeatedly. I want to stop and give you some time to think through some of the next steps that you can take after hearing this message. I have... Some suggestions for you, but you may have had others come to mind as I walk through this passage. But here are my suggestions. Go directly to God with your concern. Keep track of the story of God's work in your life so you can look back on it and be encouraged. Trust God to fight for you and learn how to cooperate with God in the fight. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your kindness. You help us, God. You lift our head. You brighten our countenance. If we turn to you, you fight battles for us. Thank you so much, God, for what you've done in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have set us free. And the cross is the victory of uh, over the enemy. It you, you defeated the enemy on the cross. And I praise you for all that you've done. And I ask that, God, you'd give us the strength to take these next steps, strengthen our hearts to... When our flesh fails, strengthen our hearts to uh, do your will and give us the power to take the next steps that you've laid on our heart to take. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.